I can't tell you how many people write to me、mm-hmm. and say, "I need you. I have no idea how to wear clothes, or I have no idea how to wear the pieces in my closet."、Mm-hmm. Right? That is a that's a real issue for a lot of people, and I. I'm so satisfied by being the person who solves that problem, because I understand them. I understand what it's like to maybe have something that you're insecure about. Hello, welcome back to Working Girl Talk. I'm your host Abby Zufelt. If you're new to the show, welcome. So happy to have you. And if you are not new, welcome back. I hope you had an awesome week. Hope you had a good Fat Tuesday. If you saw my Instagram story, I love to celebrate Fat Tuesday every year. Love me a good King's cake. Today's episode of Working Girl Talk is super exciting. I'm so excited for the guests we have, Risa Costas, on. Before we get to that, we are going to get right into our work. Working girl headlines to know about this week, just to keep you in the loop. And with that, let's dive into the news. The partnership we didn't know we needed dropped this week. But one question: Do you say GIF or JIF? JIF peanut butter and Giffy are teaming up to give you the right answer. So JIF, the peanut butter brand, has created a limited run of collectible, specially labeled jars that say GIF. On the front, and then Jif on the other side, and the jars are being sold on Amazon for around ten dollars for as long as they last. So on the side with the GIF, it says animated looping images, whereas the other side with Jif says creamy peanut butter. So pretty funny, a nice play on words. Super smart marketing partnership. The jars did not last long. Literally the morning of, I was like,、oh, I need one. Like this is like my thing. Like they made this for me. Looked at Amazon, and it has been sold out. This item is not currently available. And we don't know if it will be available again soon. So Amazon, Jif, Gif, please bring it back. I really want one. <laughs> and even this product description on Amazon, let me let me tell you, it says perfect for sandwiches, baking, and shutting down internet debates. Contains about 34 servings of peanut butter and zero looping images. It's just so cute, so funny, a brilliant marketing campaign. And also for a, I guess more. Like a social media platform, like Giphy, I think that's what it would be considered to partner with a brand like this. It's just really cool. Like so, like digital meets traditional brand consumer, and it's just like fun. It's super fun. I love it. So definitely check it out. Look at the listing on Amazon. Set that Amazon alert. We need to know when this is coming back. Next story. If you've watched Netflix at all this week, you may have noticed a new layout. The streaming service launched a new feature called Top Ten. So it's a row at the top of the screen. That allows you to see what's most popular on Netflix in your country. So you may have seen that it's like the cover of the show, and it has like a one behind it, so on, like the two, the three, and then now shows even have that little red label that says like top ten, and so you can just see what's popular. Which this is really cool and interesting because Netflix never releases any data when it comes to、um, viewing reports. So this is kind of like that little first taste we've ever gotten of it. They're gonna update the list every day, which I'm sure you've already noticed. If you've been watching every day this week, and the positions of the shows will change depending on what people are watching, and we still don't know what metrics Netflix uses in general, like to 
even decide this top 10? Is it how many people are currently streaming? How many complete views, clicks, stuff like that, which is a good point that um, this article by Mashable made about it. Like we still don't know the exact, but it is a little bit more insight into it. So it's kind of fun to see what people are watching and maybe it will even inspire us when we are in that little slump of what do I even watch on here? Next headline having to do with social media, one of our favorites to talk about on this podcast, TikTok. TSA bans TikTok. The Transportation Security Administration told employees to stop posting to TikTok this past week, according to CBS News. And then according to The Hill, TSA employees have been using TikTok to create and post videos around boarding processes and rules. And I guess the TSA's announcement to ban employees from using it comes shortly after a senator penned a letter to the administrator requesting that they halt its use. And a spokesperson for the TSA said they never published any content to TikTok, nor has it ever directed viewers to there. So I think it was just employees posting to like their personal accounts. I don't think TSA actually had an account. And so that's what they were trying to combat. The Department of Homeland Security, which houses the TSA, TSA banned the use of TikTok from government issues devices last month. And then I guess the US Army banned soldiers from using the app in December. So TikTok, and this isn't like a political show or anything, but TikTok is controversial when it comes to social media platforms. And a lot of it has to do with regulation and who owns TikTok and a lot of stuff, but TikTok is based in China and their owner company, ByteDance, announced that they were seeking to hire an American CEO based in Washington, D.C. to kind of help the security concerns over the app. As with any social media, there's always security concerns. And then maybe just since this one is a little out of the like control, it's in another country with other rules, with their own rules, that I think that's why it's been a little bit more touchy. And it's new. Anytime a social media platform is new, they haven't had all the bugs fixed and all the kinks worked out. So it has had some speculation around that. There are also a lot of big companies that are on it, but just not related to the government. Who knows? Definitely one to watch. It's just a different type of platform. A lot of speculation about privacy. And it's just interesting that the TSA fully banned all employees. But if other government entities have done this, then I guess it makes sense for them to follow suit. So this is just something to watch, I guess, and see what happens there. So now I'm super excited for our working girl guest today. Risa Costas is a stylist and the owner of Restyle Consulting and the founder of The Rescue Kit Co. Among many other things, she is the definition of a woman who is carving her own path in business. Restyle Consulting is a boutique styling company that specializes in bridal styling, one-to-one client styling, and wardrobe shopping and editing. Risa and her work have been featured on Hubbing Post, E, Scottsdale Modern Luxury, and so much more. Her diverse background in hair and makeup, fashion buying, fashion publicity in New York City have really just carved her this really unique path into where she is now in styling. And I cannot wait for you to hear her story. On this episode, we talk about the many twists and turns of Reese's path, tips for consultants in every industry, fashion for the workplace, manifesting your dreams into reality, and so much more. Please welcome Risa. Uh, welcome to Working Girl Talk. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, love to hear that. I just wanted to start off with, first things first, you're like this fashion expert. I want to hear, where did this love for fashion come from? 
Yeah, that's such a loaded question. (laughs) So many different places. But, you know, my mom is an incredible seamstress. So it really sort of started with her. She would make our clothes from the time that we were little itty bitties uh, all the way through to now. I mean, she's still creating garments for me upon request. It's like I'll send her pictures and say, this price point is way too high. Can you duplicate this for me? So she is so brilliant in that way. No pattern needed. And we grew up just with her having clothes on the ready for us, a sewing room that she would like make her own clothes at. And she'd always say to me, what do you want to wear tomorrow? And you can like sift through this fabric bin and pick out whatever you want. And I would wake up to like matching skirts and scrunchies and just my own little ready-to-wear line. So I would say that it started with her just because we always had what we wanted or what we envisioned, and that whole creative process started with her. Another thing is that I was in theater my whole life, so I loved this idea of costuming and getting dressed and becoming this character. So that was another outlet that I had and another like avenue toward the fashion industry. I just feel like people who are in that world love, have this affinity for clothing and playing dress up and becoming something else through fashion. So that is definitely another place that I discovered a love for fashion. I was also in dance and a cheerleader, so I was constantly getting dressed up for things. And, you know, in our neighborhood, all all the kids would get together and put on these events we called Friday Plays. And we would invite all the neighbors, and everyone would come over, set up chairs on whoever's lawn, and watch all of us perform and put on plays and skits and sing and do all these, like, fun things as little kids. So I was constantly performing and... And playing dress up and yeah I would say that's like really where it started I love that and I, I danced growing up and still dance so I definitely understand the costume thing. Love it. still I remember like wearing costumes around the house like oh recitals in a month I'm just practicing right. but like you're just <laughs> so I definitely get that so yeah. what was the I guess path so I think that's like the birth of this love for fashion so mm-hmm. did you know that you eventually wanted to work in this or I guess how did that come about That's a really good question. No, I had no idea. I, well, I thought I wanted to be a Broadway actress. That was sort of, it wasn't that I wanted to work in the fashion industry. It was that I wanted to sing and perform. So I sang the national anthem at all of my high school football, basketball, et cetera, games. Uh, And that went on into college. I was a cheerleader in college. And I didn't know that I wanted to do anything in the fashion industry, but I definitely thought that I was destined for an entertainment path. I didn't think that I was going to be this like famous actress or anything, but I just thought if I could pursue it into my 20s or 30s or just into life, that there could be something that came from that, whether it was just a relationship built or, you know, maybe the chance to be on stage. That's really what I wanted to do. I loved to sing. But oddly enough, uh, that wasn't (laughs) oddly. I say it like it's like so, so destined for everybody. It's not an easy thing. That was not the path 
that <laughs> that I took. An interesting thing that happened, I was in a really bad car accident right after senior year of high school. I what we had ju- I just graduated and I unfortunately was in a car accident that scarred my right cheek. I was just about to go off to college to be a cheerleader at UMaine and it was just like my whole world turned upside down. I did end up going off to school, but and I was majoring in speech pathology, <laughs> which was not my choice. My mom was an educator, and she was like, this is what you're going to do. This is the best <laughs> chance of you getting a job. There's not a lot of speech pathologists mm-hmm. out there. You should do something that's a sure thing. But it was not even at all who I was as a person. (laughs) Obviously, I was incredibly creative, and I was smart enough. My mom said I always sort of did, like, enough to get by, graduated with honors, but I, like, squeaked it out. But I knew that I was a creative at heart. It was just interesting that now looking back, and I'll tell you this whole story, but now looking back, I just think, like, there is no way that I could have finished a four-year school at the time or that I was going to end up being a speech path. There was just no way. But, you know, it was very taboo in the late 90s, early 2000s. When I was going into school, I graduated in 99. Mm -hmm. It was very taboo to not get your four-year degree. So although this car accident left me with an incredible, an incredibly noticeable laceration on my face that I had to have sewn up that night, uh, I did still go off to school. Mm -hmm. I did still go to UMaine. I was a cheerleader. I did sing the national anthem. I continued to do that. My coach was the athletic promotions coordinator, so she got to choose who sang the national anthem at all the games. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, I am definitely cheering. (laughs) Um, Because that was sort of my gateway into getting to do what I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, But as time went on, I realized a four-year school is not for me. I experienced a lot of post-traumatic stress and the effects of the accident really started peeking through. And I realized, you know, I had some minor brain injury. I had blurred vision. I had to all of a sudden get glasses. I went from having perfect vision to having to wear glasses. I had lost a lot of long and short-term memory. I was missing classes because I had no idea what time it was. It was like the world was spinning completely around me. And I had never experienced anything like this, and nobody told me that this was going to happen. Nobody Mm -hmm. looked at me and said, okay, you were in a car accident. You should take some time to really heal and talk to somebody about what happened. So not only was I dealing with, you know, this scar and the post-treatment of my scar, but I was dealing with all these mental issues that I had no control over or no grasp on. Mm -hmm. It was really, really scary. And to be a young graduate, I was 17 when I graduated high school. And, you know, just to be thrown into the mix in college, away from home and in a program that I didn't really want to do and just feeling like I was in the spotlight with cheering, but I didn't really like the way I looked. I was just dealing with a lot of confidence issues, mental health issues, things that I just, that were so foreign to me that nobody coached me through. Nobody knew what I was going through. I didn't even know it. So 
about a year and a half into school, I said to my parents, something is wrong. Like something's going on. My friends like had an intervention with me and they were like, you're not okay. And it really took that for me to realize, you know what, I'm not okay. You know, we try to smile through things and push our way through something because we know that there's people around us that have expectations of us. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea that I was doing myself a huge disservice by staying in school. So I ended up calling home and much to the dismay of my parents, <laughs> I left. And, you know, there was a lot of tough love at home. My mom, like I said, was an educator and she was like, you are not leaving school. Like, mm -hmm. you can't do that. And I was like, I have to do this. I'm wasting money. I'm, I need help. Um, like, I need to come home. So we worked it out. I mean, it was not an easy path. I enrolled in community college because, again, my mom was really pushing on me and didn't understand it. And unfortunately, my parents had just gone through a divorce. So there was oh, no so much safe place on. to really land at home. And, you know, there was a lot going on. It was just a lot of things that I just could not get a grasp on. Mm -hmm. And it's not like me to just up and leave something. I follow through on everything that I do. I finish everything that I start. It might take me a little while, <laughs> but I finish everything. So I ended up, you know, enrolling in community college and taking a couple of odd jobs. I did do a summer job at um, a busy seasonal restaurant in, I mean, from Maine, so um, on, on the ocean and met some amazing people and had been doing that for a couple of years anyway, but I went back and continued to do that like over summers. But I met these amazing people, and I ended up moving from Maine, out of Maine, into New Hampshire. I got some roommates. I took a job. This is crazy. A friend of mine's father that I was very close with, I was very close with this family, he knew that I needed a job with benefits because at this point, you know, I'm not – my parents are like, you're on your own. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> and I needed insurance, like – I needed yeah. things to be taken care of. And so he, he, bless his heart, said to me, you can come work for me. And he was a principal at a nearby high school in New Hampshire. And he hired me to work as a developmental disability coach for these kids in a vocational program at a school. So I was working with kids with Angelman's disease and high-level autism. And it, I was practically their age, but whatever it took to sort of you know, do something that I felt like I would be okay at and have insurance. I mean, it was just the craziest time. Like, what was I going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So all the while this is going on, I got a surgery every year after the year of my car accident to continue to improve the look and the finish of my scar. So I was continuing to get reconstructive and CO2 ablative surgeries on my scar. They were basically going in and like third degree burning it from the inside so I would grow new skin over it so it would diminish the look. Wow. Completely horrific post-care. I mean, it was just okay. really traumatic. So I was just trying to stay above water. Yeah. Never did I know that it would lead me into, you know, where I'm at now. So... All this is going on and I do, you know, I'm doing all these jobs and I'm moving to all these places and trying to figure out where, where I should be and what I should do. And all the while this is going on, I'm continuing to take care of my scar. I've got this post crazy post-care regimen and I have to stay out of the sun. I'm applying really heavy, thick makeup and I'm realizing 
what I was going through was so scary and so foreign to me that there must be other people going through what I was going through. And there have to have been young girls who were experiencing scars on their face and some of these mental health issues and just this need to build their confidence level. And I just realized, you know, this job at this school is not for me, and I'm not going to work in restaurants forever, although I did continue to do it for a long time. But I need to do something more meaningful to me and more on my path. It was, it took a little bit of like thinking and what am I going to do? You know, where am I going to go? But I realized if I am not going to get a four year degree and if I want to be successful, I need to do a trade or something. So I ended up enrolling in cosmetology school in Boston, which was the closest nearby, like, big city. Mm-hmm. And I got in. I mean, I don't think they took anybody, I'm sure. But <laughs> um, it was called Blaine in Boston. It no longer exists, but it was right by Fenway Park. So I remember I'm a Red Sox fan, so I was like, oh, I'll be right, I'll be right near the baseball park. I can, like, sneak over to a game. <laughs> and a girlfriend of mine from that seasonal um, – restaurant job in Maine was going to grad school also in Boston so we decided I was going to move to Boston she was going to move to Boston that we should room together so we got a cool apartment and I just upped and went and I put myself through school I had you know my grandmother was really influential at the time in my life and she was super supportive and she fully encouraged it and you know my parents were I think excited that I was going to get a trade and um, or that I was going to have a trade under my belt and I moved to Boston put myself through school and a girlfriend of mine while I was in school was like you know I had lived with her in New Hampshire. She was one of the ones I lived with because I moved a couple times just figuring things out. And she was she got engaged in the meantime. And I had been exposed to weddings since I was really young. I started singing in them when I was 10 and sang in a few along the way. And I loved I loved weddings. Like, I loved that whole experience. I thought brides were the most special people in the world. And when she got engaged, she said to me, I would love for you to do my hair and makeup. And I was like, me? Like, I am not licensed. I've never done this sort of thing before. I mean, I loved the finished look and I loved, you know, putting outfits together and doing my own hair and makeup. It took me forever to get ready for school. I mean, Mm -hmm. the curling of the bangs in fifth grade was like a serious (laughs) thing. And so I was like, you know what? What the heck? Why not? I totally did her hair and makeup and it was a success. I did her maid of honor as well. And it sort of started to get this like, feeling I had I got this feeling like I can totally do this and I'm in the right I'm in the right place like I didn't love cutting and coloring but I loved that finished look I loved updos Mm -hmm. I didn't really you didn't really like learn how to do makeup the way that you would at a real makeup school but I taught myself and I just sort of winged it and after I did that one wedding I realized This is something that I am good at, that I love. I loved, like, sending her down the aisle, that feeling of, I did this, and this is really, like, my work. It was very satisfying. So I I felt like I was in the right place. So in Boston, at the, I was working at a salon while I was finishing school. And after I graduated, you know, they were training me and they had a chair waiting for me. And it's a really amazing salon. I still talk to them today. I love them. And a girlfriend of mine, one of the other ones I lived with in New Hampshire, there were mm-hmm. four of us, called me and she was like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, just 
live, <laughs> living my best life over here. She said, you know, we're moving to San Francisco and, and you're coming. I think you should come. I was like, where, where, what? Where is that? She said, oh, it's California. You're going to love it. So I called my parents and I was like, you know what? Katie and company are moving into California. I think I'm going to go. So they were like, good for you. You should. They really encouraged all of us. I have two sisters uh, getting out of Maine, going and just living like living life. Mm-hmm. So I packed up. I was actually just talking to my girlfriend about this the other day. One backpack, a pillow. I drove with this girl I barely knew that now I'm, of course, <laughs> friends with. But she literally said to me, you can... Basically take a backpack and that's it. <laughs> and for somebody like me, that was that was really like tumultuous. I was like, this isn't this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> but we made it work. We could barely see out the back of the car. My dad said that he remembered uh, sending us away and saying, like, dear God, let's hope they make it across the country. <laughs> but we had the best trip ever. It took us about a week to get out there. And, you know, out of there were four of us that moved out there. We kind of drove like sporadically out there. We got there and we that's when we started apartment hunting. We had no place to live. Oh my goodness. Can you even imagine? Like, I'm 21. <laughs> no idea. Like, I'd never. Never, I think I'd been to Colorado once to visit my godmother when I was 10. But other than that, I had no idea what to expect on the West Coast. And imagine, like, moving out there, no place to live, barely knowing these girls except for one of them. I was like, am I crazy? So we get out there, and I was one of the first ones to find a job. No degree, which is so (laughs) weird and crazy. But... I think I felt the most desperate. You know, you sort of have this feeling in your gut like, oh, man, not only am I battling this, like, facial scar, so not only am I battling my confidence and, you know, who I am as a person and what I look like, because so often we define ourselves by our look and we forget to remember that we are not defined by that, but that's how we grow up and that's how society makes us feel that we're defined by what we look like, not what we're able to accomplish or what we have accomplished or who we are. So I was scared out of my mind. I'm like, how am I ever going to make it? So I think I just felt this real intense fire underneath me. Like I better bust my butt and work so hard and be likable. Otherwise, like I'm competing against people who, you know, are perfect and have degrees. And that was sort of my like 21 year old thinking. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I got a job at a day spa and it was just opening on Fillmore Street and it was in a gray area. And we ended up finding a place to live, but we couldn't move in for 30 days. So oh, wow. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> so we were like, oh, we'll just pack up the cars and drive down the coast and stay in hotels. And I mean, I think about that now and I'm like, if I ever have kids <laughs> and they want to do that, I'm going to be scared out of my mind. <laughs> um, I can't imagine like being the parent of me. But anyway, I started this job at the spa and the owner was so sweet. She was so good to me. And she said to me, you know, we don't do hair and makeup here, but feel free to network and get clients. And she allowed me to freelance out of her spa. Wow, that's awesome. And start telling people, hey, I do hair and makeup. So I sort of started this like entrepreneurial like I don't even know. It was like a faux business. I'm like not even licensed in that state. And I'm just telling people, hey, I do hair and makeup for weddings, which was like felt like I felt like such a fraud. But 
at the same time, I knew I could do it, and I needed mm-hmm. to start somewhere. And it's that whole fake it till you make it thing, right? That's mm-hmm. There is so much truth to that. I told people that's what I did, and I started getting brides who were engaged coming into the spa, and I was working with them, and they were hiring me. And I just remember doing, like, two and three trials on them just to make sure that I could, like, get it right. And I, I specifically remember one bride. She wanted, like, a smoky eye and a red lip, and I was like, I have no idea if I can do that. <laughs> but we did it, and— I really started kind of making a name for myself. I think I did about 10 or 12 brides in San Francisco. And, you know, everything's going along really well. And I was, uh, I shopped so much at this boutique down the street also. I mean, shopping was definitely in my blood. I mean, I think I got that from my mom too, but my grandmother loved to take us shopping. I mean, school shopping was like a tradition and there was always a lot of hype around going shopping. And I just remember growing up too, I would spend all my allowance money and any money that anyone gave me on clothes and my sisters would save theirs and then come and steal my clothes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always in my blood too. And there was a boutique that I shopped at so much down the street that they had me come and work on Saturdays for commission. And then they would, like, ask me to be a guest buyer because I started telling people what they should wear in the store. And people would come out of the dressing room and I'd be like, you can't wear that. Or, oh, yeah, that looks really good. You need that in black and white. Like, I would just, I mean, I don't know who I thought I was. Just, I start. that was when my consulting really started, whether people wanted it or not. Totally unsolicited. Um, so I did that, and I would buy for them. So now I've, like, been doing hair and makeup. I'm working admin at a day spa, learning about clients, learning about customer service. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, dabbling in fashion. And all of a sudden, this woman comes like traipsing into the spa one day and she was just so fabulous from head to toe. It was like head to toe designer, a different bag every day, her heels like clacking on the floor. I'm like, who is this woman? We need to be friends. And it turns out she was a fashion designer and she designed these handbags that she was carrying. And I was so enamored with this woman. I mean, she always looked dressed to the nines. She was the sweetest little thing, super bubbly, super nice. And I I just said to her one day, I was like, I just have to be like obtrusive and ask, like, are you what? Who are you? Like, how do we become friends? What is happening with your head to toe look? How can I just insert myself in your life? And, it, you know, she told me she was a handbag designer and they were just getting into shoe design as well. And I started doing all of her headshot hair and makeup and told her that what I did and said, if there's ever anything I can ever help you with, I want to be just involved in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. So they were about to, like, blow up. Little did I know. They had just been asked to do all the uh, swag bags for Britney Spears' baby shower. So every wow. guest got a bag and stuffed with all these goodies. And they were getting written up in Us Weekly. And they were just getting a lot of press and working with great stores. So... I inserted myself completely into her company and just (laughs) she paid me in handbags, which was also the greatest thing ever. And it was just like this really cool glimpse into fashion and the fashion industry. And I felt like I was just super thirsty for knowledge. I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to surround myself with people that were successful because it was giving me a taste of what I was looking for and that I was such a workaholic. I mean, I still am. I ha- I'm i happiest when I'm working. I have to be 
have my hands in something and just be working really hard all the time. So I realized, you know, after about a year or so of knowing her and doing her, you know, hair and makeup for all of her public appearances and headshots and everything, I realized I think I think it's time for me to sort of dabble in this styling world and this head to toe look. Now I've got hair and makeup under my belt. I'm learning all these little things about the ins and outs of small businesses. So I told her one day when I was doing her headshots for photos or something, uh, I said, I think I'm going to move to LA and become a stylist. And she was like, don't go, stay here, work for me. I have a job for you. And she offered me my first like salary job. I remember it was $40,000 plus benefits. And I literally thought I had just hit the jackpot of life. I was like, oh my God, I'm so rich. I couldn't believe it. I just felt like I was so like on top of the world. So she took me under her wing and she ended up uh, buying out her partner at the time. And it really came down to she and I and, you know, an investor who was part of the company had come in as part of the company to take it to the next level. And she looked at me and they looked at me and said, you can do anything you want in this position, in this job. What do you see yourself doing? And I just felt like, you know, no clue. Uh, I just wanted to be involved in what they were doing. And I felt like, well, I'm really good at people. I'm really good at relationships. So I think they made me like a brand ambassador. But I was wearing every hat. You know, in a small startup company, you just do whatever it takes to get it done. Mm -hmm. And she ended up taking me all over the world. I spent time in Germany, Barcelona. Uh, I lived in Florence for a month, learned about manufacturing, tanneries, all sorts of like leather goods and hardware and ordering and just the whole process of production and manufacturing, as well as sample sales. I was doing sample sales all over the world. In Oprah's green room, I did a pop-up sample sale. I did all the trade shows that the company was a part of, so Vegas, New York, Vendome in Paris. It was the craziest ride of my entire life. I just, I will never forget it. It's like ingrained in my brain. (laughs) And it really like propelled me into the workings of a small business and learning about e-commerce. And this is like the mid 2000s. So I'm learning everything there is to learn about being a part of something small and exciting. Uh, And the company unfortunately ended up folding after about two and a half years or so of working with them. And there I am, like no degree still. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And um, so I ended up moving to New York City. I called a few friends and was like, oh my gosh, I need a job. What am I going to do? And I a couple things took me back east. I think I wanted to be a little closer to family. I was in a relationship long distance, and I was like, I think it's time to to head back east. So I ended up getting a job as in-house director of public relations for a women's clothing line. Very cool. I don't even know how I got hired <laughs> for that job. I think I had... I was a PR liaison for the handbag and shoe company. And I, like I said, I was doing everything. And I really loved this process of the way that they would pitch the brand to magazines and this satisfaction that we felt when a magazine said that they would put us in the magazine. It was just this like crazy 
rush of we did that, you know, we're, now we're in print. It was such a cool feeling for me. And I think that that out of everything really resonated the most with me because number one, it meant that I got to build relationships, which is like my ultimate, like the ultimate high for me is building a relationship. And then I also got to work with these crazy cool editors and I got to see that process and like see something come to life. And I loved that. So I really thought I would be good at that. And I loved, like I said, that relationship building has always been at the core of who I am. So I did that for about a year and a half, got us into some really great magazines, some noteworthy magazines like um, Women's Wear Daily and Lucky and People and People Style Watch and in style, it was such a cool experience, and it was completely grassroots for me. Nobody taught me really how to do that. Mm-hmm. It was all completely self-taught and just out of sheer grit. Like, I was so hungry for it. Um, so now we're at about 2000 and like eight, nine, and then the crash really hits. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time. New York just was not for me. I grew up going to Broadway shows because my mom's from Long Island. So we mm-hmm. grew up going back and forth from Maine to New York. And I loved that whole excitement of visiting. But I realized it just felt really fast-paced for me. And I felt like I was never going to be able to be in you know a big fish in a small pond there. It was always going to be com- like super competitive. And I just felt... Like, because I wasn't from there, I just felt really behind with the women mm-hmm. I was around. And I, I knew I needed to be in a city, but maybe something a little bit more manageable for me. So I realized now is a great time to get my degree. Mm-hmm. So since I have a sister who lives here, I was convinced to move here. I also love to play golf. So this is obviously a great golf <laughs> mecca. So I ended up moving to Arizona and got into ASU and ended up finishing my degree. So after all that time, it was definitely one of those things that was always on my list of must-dos just for my own personal satisfaction. I think it was one of those things that I always felt like it it slowed me down and it weighed me down. And so anyway, I, I finished my degree. I moved myself back to Florence for three months to, you know, celebrate my graduation and my just accomplishing something that I had been wanting to accomplish for so long. And after that, I moved back here and I really like put the pedal to the metal on Restyle and I launched it in 2014. So that's a really long story. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, but I knew that I wanted to take a culmination of everything that I had done. I actually bought my domain way back in the day in San Francisco. I knew that I would call it Restyle Consulting. I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. If you ask my girlfriends from San Francisco, they will tell you that I sat there before I moved to New York and said, I will one day have a one-stop shop company called Restyle. I don't know what it's going to mean, but it's going to have something to do with weddings. I always thought it would be weddings. I didn't know it would be styling. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I would ever be capable of doing what I'm doing today. Um and being completely self-taught. You just don't know those things. You don't yeah. know where you're going to end up. And um, But I knew that I would have this one-stop shop for something, and I knew that it would be weddings, something or other. Total powers of manifestation, because I would yes. write all of this stuff down. And here we are today. That is so cool. That's like the epitome of manifestation. As you were saying <laughs> that, I was like, this is why we need to write stuff down and like make it happen. Totally. You, like, you made it happen. Like. That's crazy. That's so cool. Crazy. It, that's the craziest story. And let me tell you, that is the Cliff Note version. I hope that I can one day put 
it all, you know, pen to paper and write it all down in like the longer version because it's just such a crazy ride. Isn't Mm -hmm. life so crazy how it it just brings us to this one spot? But then when you really stop and think about it, you're like, that's exactly where I was meant to be. Yeah, it's so true. Like all the things that didn't work out, it's like, oh, I'm so glad they didn't. Like it's, it's so crazy. Wow. Love. <laughs> so cool. Um, and then I want to talk about Restyle currently. Yes. So can you describe what it's like to work with you now? Yes, absolutely. So Restyle was sort of born out of this 360 degree, I guess, experience that I had then like built, that I have now mm-hmm. built. It's been all this culmination um, that I've been sort of working toward through all of these jobs. At the core of it is customer service. I worked in restaurants throughout. I mean, I came back here or moved out to Arizona. And while I was putting myself through school, I was working at a restaurant. I'd always been working at restaurants since I was 15. And I just loved taking care of people. So I knew that customer service would be at the core of Restyle. I didn't want to just be this fashion stylist that that became obsessed about stuff or buying things for my clients or or based their business just around wearing designer or what were the clothes were what are the clothes we're wearing i wanted it to be about the person mm-hmm. about the experience of me coaching people through empowering themselves through getting dressed so i knew that i i wasn't going to be an everyday quintessential quote unquote stylist so to work with me now is to get like this full pampering, empowering, confidence-building experience. It's about what are we wearing that makes us feel good? How are we invigorating our wardrobe? How are we adding pieces that make sense for our lifestyle? Not just because they're hanging and looking pretty in the closet and we love to stare at them. It's more about where should your dollars go? What makes the most sense for you? What's going to make you feel like the best version of yourself? I always say we all have to get dressed, so we might as well make it an amazing experience. So when I first started, I, again, it was almost like taking that chance on me with hair and makeup in San Francisco. I sort of just started telling people, hey, this is what I'm good at. This is what I do. I need to build a business out of it. So how can do you, can I help you put an outfit together or you know and will you write me a testimonial or you know it sort of just started with people taking a chance on me and I knew that I I was organized for other people I wouldn't say I'm as organized for myself but I knew that I could organize other people really well mm-hmm. so it was sort of just talking about it with people at first and telling them what I wanted to do and it was one photographer in town Katie Rounds from Round Lens Photography who took my capabilities and my business and said, listen, I photograph families, uh, like a ton of families in the fall for holiday photo shoots. Why don't you package something up with me and I'll start promoting you? And so I really got my start doing that with families and styling full families for their holiday photo shoots. Mm -hmm. And that would turn into cleaning out their closet, shopping for them maybe regularly or quarterly. And it really sort of built, started building my business. So I didn't know where this company would start, but that's how I started getting exposure and doing photo shoots and realizing, okay, I can put these outfits together. I can dress any body type because 
it's really about learning about the person. Mm-hmm. Learn, obviously, I had to know clothing. And I really learned about clothing in the women's clothing line um, in New York because I was involved in a lot of the design process. I wasn't a designer, but I saw everything happen in the cutting room. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw I knew about fabrics because my mom taught me all about wash and wear and certain fabrics that had stretch and what what did it mean for something to be caught on the bias or, you know, I learned about all of that from such a young age and I really soaked it in. So, you know, I felt like that was an invaluable skill to bring into dressing my clients, learning about what cuts looked good on different body types, Mm -hmm. trying things on myself and realizing, okay, this is an area maybe I want to hide or I want to diminish a little bit, or this is an area I want to accentuate. I would know how things would fit, and I became an expert in brands because I literally tried everything on. I would go to the stores and just try every brand on and learn every brand. Mm -hmm. And I would get to know the salespeople and ask them, okay, how does this run or how does this run? And what what is this, you know, what is this designer known for? And I just sort of started becoming this like little sponge. So it started with families and then I started working with models and people would ask me to do things in collaboration with them. So I sort of started building this kind of media dressing and model dressing and it sort of blossomed from there. And what I realized was, I loved working with just regular people who actually were facing the day-to-day issues with just getting dressed for, like, work. Yeah. That's a real problem for people. That's exactly why I was like, I need Risa on the show. We need to talk about that. (laughs) Totally. Because that is – I can't tell you how many people write to me Mm -hmm. and say, I need you I have no idea how to wear clothes or I have no idea how to wear the pieces in my closet, mm-hmm. right? That is a that's a real issue for a lot of people. And I am so satisfied by, by being the person who solves that problem because I understand them. I understand what it's like to maybe have something that you're insecure about even though I don't dress my face. It was an insecurity of mine for a really long time. So Mm -hmm. I took a lot of pride in what I wore to sort of distract from what was happening on my face. And I know about wanting to hide something or to distract from something. And I also know that my body fluctuated a lot during those times just because of the stress level Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm I'm I've experienced things that really made me feel while I was getting dressed, if that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are struggling just with life or with things that they might be going through. And, you know, the the stress of getting dressed can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I I want to solve that for people day to day. And yes, I'd love to do some red carpet dressing one day. I feel like I'd be pretty good at that just because it is that finished look, that head to toe. Mm -hmm. But there's something incredibly satisfying and humbling about being let into somebody's wardrobe and into their closet and seeing them at their most vulnerable state Mm -hmm. and helping them navigate just day-to-day dressing. Mm -hmm. 
For sure. And on that note, I want to talk about, because my audience is, is working women. Okay, yeah. Do you have, and I know everyone is different and it's very specific to them, but any tip or is there like some general advice for feeling confident in your clothes in the workplace? So um, a variety of different industries, but I guess we'll go with kind of like that office corporate vibe. If yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what happens a lot of times in the corporate setting is that there's a lot of guidelines and there's a lot of strict Mm -hmm. rules and there's HR that you have to worry about. So I think for women especially, we're sort of put into this little bubble that we have to look a certain way in the office and that we're not allowed to feel feminine or sexy or maybe wear a bright color. And I think that needs to go out the window, like Mm -hmm. out the window. Obviously, there's a certain level of appropriateness that we need to meet, right? But I think it's a place that you can get creative with accessories. I think it's a place where you can experiment with a little bit of color depending on your workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, I think dressing for your body type is hugely important. I think that oftentimes we want to wear things that... Maybe we can't just because it, yeah. it doesn't suit our body type. So knowing your body type and what you can wear for your body type mm-hmm. is also important. But I think women empowering each other, too, and being each other's you know confidants through that mm-hmm. and talking about their struggles, because men just don't get it for us sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, having a community of women. And I always say having a, like a best friend that you can call that's going to be totally honest with you mm-hmm. about what looks good and what doesn't. Um, that person is key if you don't have a wardrobe stylist yes. or somebody that's paid to be really honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that just knowing who you are as a person, knowing what looks good on you and what doesn't, and not being afraid to experiment with something that you've maybe been veering away from because you think you can't, Yeah. you know. Um, but again, it always comes down to what the rules are in your place of yeah, work. So definitely, obviously, we have to be <laughs> cognizant of that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and then do you have any recommendations if somebody wanted to find like cute work clothes? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have like favorite places to shop? So many. How much time <laughs> do you have? <laughs> uh, I think a great, a great online resource. And what I love about this online resource is, number one, the price point, because when you're shopping for work, sometimes it feels like it's a uniform and you don't really want to spend a ton of money. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you're going to be able to wear both inside the the workplace and outside of the workplace, although I can teach you about ways to do that. (laughs) Uh, And what I love about, like, suiting is that it's so in Mm -hmm. right now and matching sets and blazers and wide leg pants, and that look is really in right now. But um, I think that, you know, this particular site Mm -hmm. pays attention to price point. They also pay attention to different body types. So there's a plus size section, which I love. And there's also petites. There's so many different body types out there. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sometimes it's hard for people that don't fit into this like little quadrant of what the sizing quote unquote Mm -hmm. should be or, you know, this general sizing. It's hard, you know. Um, So I like websites that pay attention to women of all body types. Um, And lastly, they have a ton of merchandise. So you can just do a quick search and usually they're going to have what you're looking for. It's ASOS, A-S-O-S dot com. 
and it's a UK-based brand, but they do such a great job of presenting the trends that are very current. They also have some great classic styles on there, but presenting the trends in like a really approachable way. So that's one of my favorite sites to look on, and they have a lot of suiting options and a lot of work-ready attire. Um Geez, there's a million. It depends on your price point, but that that's probably my number one. I love that. Yes. That's awesome. And then I did get a lot of questions about where to start if you, like, in your closet. Like, where do you even start? Like, do you have, like, a rule, like, oh, like, if you haven't worn it in so long, get rid of it, that sort of thing. And I know you are into, you can you can use it more than you think you yes. can. Yes. You, I, I am, like, the ultimate, like, let's shop your closet girl. So I all of my clients clients will tell you, I always, I'm very conservative. I always want to start with what you own before we start this massive list. And I'm also very conservative about the purge process. So when we are purging, I really scrutinize things unless it's their closet has never been weeded through, then I'm a little bit more apt Mm -hmm. to say, oh, that needs to go. (laughs) I'm always very nice about it, though. (laughs) Diplomatic, of course. Um, You know, I think it just depends. I will typically say when I go into somebody's closet, sort of the process is, all right, it's it's a team sport, so don't go anywhere. You're here with me. And um, I usually go through each section, and we do. We have to ask, when is the last time you wore this? Now, if it's a a classic piece that I would put in a what I would call a capsule closet or what's known as a capsule closet. So like your core 20 to 30 pieces, say. Mm-hmm. If it's one of those types of pieces, for instance, a blazer or a great pair of work pants mm-hmm. or a classic pump or a great pair of denim, which mm-hmm. as you know, denim like all the styles are in right now. Everything from like mom jeans to skinny jeans to flare to bell bottoms. I mean, we're seeing everything out there right now, which is so cool. Um, if it fits into that capsule section, then I would say let's put this off to the side and let's get let's put aside everything that we think might be a classic piece, mm-hmm. and let's come back to that and. At the all at the same time is when I like to do a try on session. So we're not, you know, so we can focus on what needs to be edited, let's say, yeah. and then we can try on. That is the key right there. I make my clients try everything on. They hate me for it. They do. Some of them love it. But some of them are like, you are not going to make me try all that on. I'm like, oh, yes, I am. Because I want to see it on the body, right? Like, I'm not a mind reader. I can't right. tell you exactly how something is going to wear. Um, mm-hmm. Although people who shop with me will say, I can pretty much tell you. Um, but I'm not a magician. And I do need to see things on the body to see how they fall, where they fall. Do they have a stopping point? Where is that stopping point? Mm -hmm. Is it something that maybe needs to be hemmed? Is it something that we can give new life to? Mm -hmm. Is it a great pair of jeans that maybe is destroyed on the bottom, but we could cut it into shorts because it fits your booty really well? (laughs) I mean, I'm really thinking about everything. And then I'm also thinking when we're weeding through what can we consign? What can we make some of your shopping money back on? And then what are the things that just need to go? What are the things that we can donate? There's so many organizations where they need donated clothes. I'm always thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want my clients to make back as much of their shopping money as possible. We pour so much money into our closets. Uh, my goal is that I can educate people throughout this like beginning process of weeding through and really scrutinizing what they're going to wear educate them on what to look for 
when we are shopping for something and when we are adding pieces, is it something that really suits us? And my clients mm-hmm. will tell you they've learned so much along the way. When they become a long-term client, which is always my goal with people, they learn how to shop for themselves just based on how I coach and educate them. And they become you know, better shoppers that mm-hmm. spend less money or that are, you know, understand where to splurge more and understand what really suits their lifestyle and their needs. And then we all just become this unit that really starts to consider the best mm-hmm. way for them to shop going forward. But that general rule of, you know, if you haven't worn it in five to six years, chances are either you should wait for it to come back in style because it probably will, or you should probably say goodbye because it's probably got some wear or mm-hmm. your body has maybe changed. Maybe your life has changed a little bit. I mean, we always have to consider what it, what are you doing in your life that you need that? Where I always say to my clients, where are you going in that? And if they can't figure it out, I certainly can't figure it out. That's when I start saying things like, well, if you get invited to a polo match in, in you know, the UK and, you know, it's it, you start like creating these like narratives and scenarios in your head to as to where they're going in that outfit. And then it's like, OK, by that time, we've already wasted enough time and you're certainly not going to any of those places. Let's say goodbye. So, right. yeah, definitely. I love that you have them try it on because I, I thinking about that, I'm like, oh, you probably even have a different image of what you look like in your outfits too. Like it's like a fresh perspective. Totally. For sure. Or they might think that they look terrible in it and I'm looking at them from an outsider's perspective right. who really understands like truthful fashion. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I tell them, you you need to keep that. You look good. <laughs> so right. it's sometimes it's just that initial fear. Mm-hmm. I feel like getting dressed is so fear-based for people mm-hmm. that I'm there to help them I'm either there to to gently say, I I think we can do better is what I usually say, you know, mm-hmm. we can do better than this or mm-hmm. you're cooler than that dress, <laughs> you know, or you're yeah. way more attractive than that dress. It's just a nicer way of saying, like, let's let's move on from that and mm-hmm. let's let's introduce something that actually makes you feel really, really good when you mm-hmm. put it on. But if I pull something out and they they look at it with this disgusted face and they're like, I can't, I, I can't, then we know it needs to go because they don't even yeah. want to wear it when it's hanging off the hanger, you mm-hmm. know, or when it's hanging off their body. Right. Definitely. And then we need to talk about the rescue kit. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to hear where this kind of came from, because this is newer, yes. the newer venture of yours. So yes. where did the idea come from? And like, tell us all about it. Like, what is it? Tell us. Yes. <laughs> I have the biggest smile on my face right now. If people could see. <laughs> This is like a, such a lifelong dream come true. I have really discovered that I would love to sprinkle myself all over the world and be in the closet of every woman, but there's no possible way. And I've tried to hire second me's. <laughs> I've tried to hire other people, and I've really tried to duplicate what I do. And it's just really hard, and I can't be in the closet or you know, on the wedding day of every woman. And I thought about this a few years ago, and it had always been sort of brewing in my brain, but again, fear-based. Mm-hmm. I was so worried about maybe somebody knocking me off or somebody coming in that had some huge investor that could make it happen faster than me. But I've been really sitting on it for a long time. And 
When I told my sister about it, she's my business partner. I have two sisters. I'm super close with both of them. But when I told my sister about it, I said, I I have this idea and I'm scared out of my mind to put it out there. But what do you think? Because I always ask her for her advice. You know, older sisters are so good for that. And she really loved the idea. And she told her husband, who's also in real estate and an entrepreneur, and he loved the idea. And I know that if he loves it, then I'm on to something. Mm-hmm. And it was really my way of taking my brain and putting it in a box and getting it into the hands of every woman out there that fears getting dressed, that that needs that peace of mind. And so... After a few months of sitting on it, my sister came to me and said, I cannot stop thinking about this box idea that you have. I I think I, I need to do this with you. And it was then that I realized I can't do this alone. I was about to launch alone. I had an investor that was interested in coming on with me, but he was like, I can give you the money, but I can't run this for you. Like, mm-hmm. that's all you. And that's a big job. And it's a huge job. It's a huge undertaking to start a product line with no help. Mm-hmm. So when my just as I was discovering this, my sister said she wanted in. So it was then that we sort of took the next step and launched. So basically, it's everything that I have learned every problem that I have solved, because I have solved them, uh, in a box. And it's all of my like tried and true fashion faux pas fix-its. So all the mishaps that could potentially arise in a box. And because I started working with brides at such a young age, and because I feel like they get the most stressed out about the big day, Mm -hmm. and there's so much money and time invested into this one moment, that's where I knew I needed to launch first. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I do offer, in in Restyle, I do offer a service called the Bride's Best Friend. It's basically like a lady-in-waiting or, you know, um, a stylist on hand for the day of your wedding. So I fix your dress throughout the whole day. I'll steam the dresses for the girls. I'll safety pin something. I'll even sew your dress if the zipper breaks. And that has happened (laughs) minutes before first look. And it was after solving all these like disasters that I realized there is a need for some sort of peace of mind in a box, right? Like this kind of this feeling I can not only sell like the actual product, but I can mm-hmm. sell this peace of mind and this emotion of like being taken care of, which is what I am at the core of. Mm-hmm. Um, I am my business is the core of my business is how can I help you? How can I take care of you? Mm-hmm. So this was my way of sort of presenting that to the world. And so we de- we developed the bride kit, which is over 20 items. That can also serve for anybody, really, but it's geared and marketed toward brides first, just because I felt like if anyone's going to spend that money, it's a great gift item. Um, And I felt like it was maybe a bigger 
price point for people to just buy for themselves to have in their closet. Um, but as a gift, it's the ultimate bridal shower gift, and it's the ultimate gift for a bride and a small price to pay for that quote-unquote wedding day insurance. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like insurance. You don't yes. know what can go wrong. You don't know what you don't know. If you've never been married before, or if you've never been at a wedding, it's like you're insured for the day. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of my way of giving a deliverable back to all of my clients and you know, providing peace of mind for brides the world over. Love. And where can people buy it? How do they learn more about it? Yeah. So people can buy it on our website, therescuekitco.com, or follow us on Instagram at at therescuekitco. We did uh, have the amazing opportunity to launch inside of Saks Fifth Avenue with a pop-up shop called Presentour. And uh, that was probably the coolest way to launch. I mean, that was just so unexpected and out of thin air and just another testament to my like relationship building and basically throwing it in front of people's faces and saying, here you go, you need this product. Mm. Um, So that was an incredible way for us to launch our brand. The pop-up shop was just for a short time. It has already come and gone at Saks, but we'll be continuing to work with them as they open new doors. So Present Tour is going to be popping up in other department stores and, you know, other like shopping centers in the nation. But uh, for now, you can buy it on our website and hopefully, you know, like I'm one of those crazy people who goes on the website and watches the back end <laughs> analytics. I'm like, there is one person on our site right now. And I'll call my sister and be like, there's a live viewer on our site. Like there's one person. <laughs> so I hope that one day I can say there's 5,000 people or 10,000 people. But for now, we're so just thrilled that we've gotten it out there and yeah. in the hands of people and that people are excited about it. And when they hear about it, they think it's a good idea. So hopefully this is the beginning of something big because the next thing is closet kit, event kit, all the kits. Oh, love it. I love kits. all the kits. We need all the kits. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, just saying with this whole like manifestation thing, I feel like you saying that right here in a few years, you'll be like, oh, wow. Like That was just like, now we'll have like 10,000 users on the side a day. So yes. it'll get there. <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. And I tell you, you know, I would love to come back here. And when you're just like this huge podcaster <laughs> and you're just killing it, which you already yeah. are. But, you know, hopefully we can come back here together. and. Yeah. Yes. Both of us have grown and, th- you know, think back to this day and say, you know, I remember when, you know, yes. I love our that. own little time capsule Absol- right now. Absolutely. Right now. <laughs> Absolutely. You got it. You got it. I love it. OK, so I could talk to you like for hours and hours. So but before we head into the rapid fire real quick. Yes. As a consultant, what's the biggest challenge you face and what's the way you combat it? Um, Just some advice for other people in the consulting industry. Yes, that's a really good question. You know, I think that as consultants and even as entrepreneurs, it's really hard for us to know our own worth and for people to sort of recognize why we're charging, what we're charging, and how do we find that line, that fine line between, you know, well, I've only been doing this for so long, but I consider myself an expert. So it's like knowing your worth and how to charge for it and be, being okay with saying no to some people who don't recognize your worth. Mm-hmm. It's taken me such a long time. I've now had Restyle for six years, which is so crazy to me, even though it doesn't feel like that long for some people, maybe it 
it's been such a sort of tumultuous undertaking in terms of putting a value on my services and for people to understand that. Mm -hmm. So for me as a consultant, that's why I put consulting at the end of my name. I wanted people to understand that I have a lot to offer. I'm not just a stylist. I am so much more than that. I book my clients' hair and makeup appointments. I manage all of that. I manage the relationships. If I'm dressing a blogger, um, for instance, I work with a food blogger, baking blogger, and I, when I wanted her to sign on with me, I told her, you're getting so much more than just somebody who says, yeah, wear that. Yeah. You're getting full attention. I'm booking everything for you. I'm completely creative directing your shoots. I'm creating relationships with other brands and doing business-to-business, you know, collaborations. And I'm consulting on your head-to-toe look. Basically, everything runs through me because I've done everything. Mm -hmm. I've dabbled in a little bit of everything for a small business. So I've got all this knowledge to share. And there isn't anybody I feel like out there doing what I do that has been through all that crazy, like, (laughs) array, that crazy array of business expertise. So for me, I think when people hear the word stylist, they think, well... I know other stylists and maybe they don't charge what you charge or mm-hmm. so it's always been a challenge for me for people to like understand and appreciate and acknowledge and feel good about paying my prices. I mean, we're getting mm-hmm. to a, a better point now mm-hmm. because I'm more confident in it, but yeah. for any other entrepreneur out there or consultant, I I recognize this now more than ever. Don't be scared to charge your prices. Don't be scared if somebody says no, because guess what? If they really want you, they will come back for more. I've experienced that. Or they will come back for that first time and say, okay, I'm ready now. I get it. Mm -hmm. I see you on social media. I see you on your stories. I know that you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. (laughs) And I'm starting to show that more because I want – I was always a little bit nervous to show that um, on the back end thinking it was, I don't know, braggadocious or something to be like, oh, look at all the things I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's actually helped people realize how hard I am working for them and how in how many places I need to be in a day. I mean, never mind running just restyle. Now running two businesses, I am I should really raise my prices. (laughs) So, yeah, I think the hardest part for me has just been recognizing the worth and not being afraid to ask for what I know I'm worthy of. Yes, love that. Love to hear that. Okay, so we're going to head into rapid fire. Okay, scary. Yeah, so just say whatever comes to your mind, and you can elaborate a little bit. Okay, I love it. Snap (laughs) snap away. Morning person or night owl? Morning person, no doubt. (laughs) My day is not complete without... Going to the dog park with my dog. Oh, I love it. <laughs> the one thing every woman should have in her closet. Oh, gosh. I know. I that knew one thing? Hard. You're so mean. Um, I would say I would say a blazer, a power blazer. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I got mine on right now. And we just, both do. I know. Oh, <laughs> see? There you go. It shouldn't have been that hard. I should have just looked down. <laughs> Favorite book, resource, podcast, or anything like in that sense that has inspired you? Should I say your podcast? Oh, no. I mean, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> let's say that and let's add one more thing. Um, I'm so inspired by any woman doing what you do. It's I think it's not easy to be on your end. So kudos to you. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, 
I would also say um, there is a book by Stephen King called On Writing, and I know this seems really off the beaten path, but it, it's the story about how he got started as a writer, and that has been one of the most inspiring books for me. I read it so many years ago, but I think I'm going to reread it now. But it just talks about his path and how he got started, and it was super inspiring for me. So, Ooh, yes. I love that. I'll have to add that to the list. Yes. The best advice you ever got. The best advice I ever got was from my mom, and she always told me to work hard and to be likable um, because you can't really train that. Mm -hmm. You can train somebody to do anything, but if you don't like them and enjoy being around them and if they don't work hard, then they're not your person and you won't succeed. So that advice has stuck with me, and I think Mm -hmm. that's why I I worked so hard throughout my life and was likable. And I hope that that just comes from the heart. But it was that hard work ethic that I feel like you either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. So embrace that. Love it. And then where can we keep up with you and Restyle? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at Restyle, R-I style underscore consulting or on my website. But I'm most active on Instagram, but at RestyleConsulting.com. And then at The Rescue Kit, (laughs) which I gave you both of those, but we'll say it again here, TheRescueKitCo.com. And at the Rescue Kit Co. Amazing. Thank you so much, Risa. Thank you so much for oh, having love me. It. I could literally talk to you for hours. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Risa. Can you believe how amazing? I love her story. I love the domain buying that she bought that even before she even knew what her business was going to be. I just love that. It's like setting yourself up to be where you want to be. Even if you're unsure about it, you just do it. I just love it. So with that, honestly, that's my Friday favorite that she did that so long ago and set herself up for where she wanted to be in the future. And with that, thank you so much. If anything resonated with you today, please share it with a friend. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast. I love hearing your feedback and I hope you have an awesome day. I will talk to you next week.